Look at what you get to build. Use some serverless material. Use some use storage instead of VM disk. Use whatever you can use to make your life easier, but also less complex. Um, yeah, as an organizer of Kubernetes meetups, quite often it sounds <laughs> fun. I'm sorry. This is Cloud Gossip podcast, demystifying the cloud and the people behind it. Hello, everyone. I'm Annie Tavasto, and I am a cloud native technology marketing manager. And I've worked for tech companies ranging from startups to Fortune 500 enterprises. And my name is Carlotz. I'm a cloud security leader working at a large Swiss financial sector company. And you are listening to Cloud Gossip. And this is the first episode of season two. I am at least very excited. So as the first season of Cloud Gossip covered the fundamentals of Cloud Gossip, the basics you could say, um, this season we will be diving deeper to the cloud and tech world and we will be interviewing top industry professionals, so the best of the best. So as a smooth transition, Carl, won't you intro to our first guest of season two? Today we have a real treat for you. Uh, we have Mike Martin joining us. Uh, Mike is a really long-time industry veteran, a grand old man of the community, former Azure MVP and now CSA at Microsoft. Welcome, Mike. And could you please uh, introduce yourself and tell us who are you and what exactly are you doing? What is a CSA? So I'll just put my wheel cart to the side because you called me an old man, but it's true. I mean, I'm in the industry for 24 years. So thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, yeah, I'm a CSA, as you announced. I uh, work now for Microsoft for two and a half years. And what my role is, is I speak to partners and, and software builders on a technical level. I validate their architectures and I try to build with them. I don't sell them anything. I try to build with them and give them the best possible breed of solutions on how they should be building their, their own solutions. So to give you an idea, any kind of company that comes up to us, uh, whether they're in a scale-up or in a startup environment, they, they come to us with their ideas. And they go like, yeah, we're building this or we already have that and we want to optimize this or we want to make it more cloud-aware or even better cloud-native. Then we start doing discussions and, and, and doing whiteboard sessions and all these things. And this is how we roll. So, and that's my role. I'm there specifically for the ISV part still uh, for about 80%. So non-ISV is an independent software vendor. Uh, and those actually are the, the, the most fun type of companies that you can work with, to be honest, because they always have great ideas. Also sometimes like ridiculous, insane ideas, but hey, everybody loves the challenge, right? <laughs> Cool. Everybody uh, like, likes a challenge, and everybody likes to challenge, indeed. Yeah, and just as a as a, as a quick uh, question, so I I work for Microsoft. You work for Microsoft. We know what ISV is, but what is it for our audience? You you kind of opened that as a TLA three letter acronym there, <laughs> but and you also mentioned that you're working with software builders, but you kind of differentiated between those. So mm. yeah. I work for the for the partner organization, so what we call in, in Microsoft the OCP organization or the um, one commercial part. So I don't work at the customer side. I really work on the uh, system integrated and the ISV part, which is the independent software vendors, as I already said in the acronym. 
uh, translation. So an ISV is really a company that that builds software, whether it's uh, uh, tools or whether it's a SaaS platform or whether it's a, a plugin for any of our products, uh, which we then also help them sell. And, and we have an entire ecosystem surrounding that. So the partner ecosystem can be divided into two parts. Those who do services, like uh, the big companies, like the Tatas and then and, and the Capgeminis and the Societies and all these companies that you know from all over the world. Uh, and they, 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 they offer services. And they also, of course, build projects for you. They build software, which is one of their in, in incentives. But the independent software vendor is actually they're building software for their own to be transactable in the marketplace or think of them as the next Spotify or the next um, uh, Netflix that you're building. But it could be in any kind of industry. That's also the beauty of it. I'm not bound to any kind of industry. They go vertical and they go horizontal. And they, I mean, I've worked with healthcare partners. I worked with industry partners for, for IoT. I work with all with them all over the place. And that's that's a fun part in the ISV sphere because they all have brilliant ideas, as I said. So, yeah. so I hope that kind of kind of correctly describes what an ISV is. So it's it's a very broad uh, definition and a very broad ecosystem where you end up in. That sounds really great. And thanks for giving some examples there as well. So you're not specifically working with uh, Capgeminis and, and the large managed service partners who do everything, including software. Uh, it's it's mo more closer to Spotify's and, and kind of app builders uh, of the world. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Although the DSIs are, are also a little bit my responsibility, but only when necessary. So I, for those, typically I don't do architecture validation, but I'd rather talk them to readiness, prepare them for the future, uh, bring them up to speed in cloud native development or even better organized ways of doing stuff like talking about uh, cloud ad adoption framework and, and uh, well-architected framework and all these things and then making, them sh making sure that they understand what we are building. Now we can service our customers and then again, they can service their customers. It's a little bit uh, on cool. their side. Yeah. So that that's really sounds like a role that you get to play around with the latest technologies, but you kind of stop at the point where you will need to go to production or think about testing or this kind of boring stuff. Yes, exactly. I, I, I'm not allowed to to touch production code maybe for the better i mean if you talk, if you talk about the, the 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 number of years that i had done actively development in a team then uh, yeah it's, it's better not to but i still i still play around with technology i still have a tight integration with the product groups and with with the communities that, that are doing these things and i i, I still go into discussions with with uh, subject matter experts every single day and we we learn from each other a little bit. I, I know where where uh, where I can find people to uh, to help those, them out, or even help me out to find more better solutions for their problems. It's indeed a, a very varied role, as you can say. That's really cool, and I, it's always I think inspiring to hear from people what are they doing because everyone does and specializes in such an interesting interesting topics as well. So as as I think. Um, I think you can, anyone can kind of decipher from there that you're a true expert on the field. So um, I think we would be really interested to hear in, in your opinion on what's currently happening in the software company space. What is the industry overview at the moment? Oh, the industry is, is, we're still in that, in that 
thing as an industry where we try to hype as much as possible. Everybody's focusing still on AI and on, on all these and, all, and machine learning and, 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 and deep neural networks. And but also we still focus on on the smaller things and not so big hype uh, topics anymore. Where we try to improve. To give you an idea, um, uh, the things that I'm seeing now more with my with my partners is that they really are willing to focus more on a better service catalog and a better integration of everything which is devops uh, devops has been around for a long time and again i, I find the devops uh words a very dirty words it's a culture thing but it, it, it has always been there the only thing is that nobody ever wanted to talk to each other and that's a little bit the, the biggest difference today well we have a devops engineer it doesn't exist you, you either a diff or an ops, but you work together with any of those teams. That doesn't mean that you don't have to know from each other what you're doing. It's a different story. And this is where the culture part comes in. But if you take a look at from those perspectives, the things that the industry is doing there is pretty cool. We see more and more leverage on security in those sectors. We see more and more leverage on better testing tools. We see more and more leverage on on. on integrations all, all over the place. I like what we're doing with GitHub, the GitHub action stuff, for instance. It's pretty cool and everybody can contribute to that. But even Azure DevOps pipelines, it's a it's a it's a beautiful product. And we work together with all the other uh, build tools or release pipeline tools or, or repos that whether it's JetBrains with their Team City, whether it's uh, Atlassian, whether it's Jenkins, we all work we all work together and that's the beauty of it. So what I see in the industry is that the further we grow apart our products, the more we grow closer together because we see the integration as a benefit and no longer as a competition. We try to pick something from everyone and, and uh, to give a, a terrific idea, I, I, I love what, for instance, the JetBrains guys are doing with Rider. They build an awesome .NET IDE, but still they 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 endorse our tools too and that, that's pretty cool and then we still have resharping visual studio and that, that all works nicely together if it starts up <laughs> um you, you know it's it's uh, visual studio <laughs> no maybe because because of that yeah sometimes your your projects are really really heavy and you know uh we all have that pain even we have that pain so but yeah but everybody it it, it all comes so nicely together and it even it even goes beyond that i mean if you take a look then at the next level where where everybody's playing on all of a sudden it's, it's due to these these difficult times we are at today uh, we are still 2020 this is still the covid period and Everybody's seen the news the last couple of months that tools like Teams and Zoom and, and, and Slack, they skyrised, right? And if you see what we're doing there in that space, it's pretty, pretty cool because we, we integrate developer products inside of Teams, for instance. Uh, Zoom is not really focusing on those things, but, you know, we, we all try to do more magical stuff and try to create new spaces and new bases. Let's double click on that a little bit. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> so, so you mentioned that DevOps is really all about developers actually talking to each other, and now maybe that might feel a little bit more comfortable to a this kind of stereotypical uh, geekery who 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 doesn't really want to talk to a human being, but maybe now that they are forced to go through through the screen, that might be something that's. Um, uh, that's that's maybe more approachable, or at least it's it's now kind of the only way to collaborate. You mentioned there are some tools for developers with Teams, but but there's also uh, Visual Studio Code Share and these other types of tooling. So, uh, what what sort of things are are your partner organizations that you are working with? How have 
their use of technology now evolved this past uh, half a year now. Yeah, that's a that's a thing. We they they all of a sudden everybody wants to wants to be more prepared for the next wave. Uh, in either kind of definition, whether it's COVID or the technology wave, I'll look at it from that that perspective, and we see a lot of. Uh, to give you an idea, we see a lot of indeed companies working more and more remotely, and they try to do quick solution buildings. They they go they reach to that citizen development part, although they're real developers. But we 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 see them doing other stuff too to integrate that again in a DevOps kind of sphere, so that way it also stays in their kind of ecosystem. The 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 the, the live sharing of of coding online is, is is indeed something which we've been building the last three years on, and it's 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 pretty it's pretty cool what we did there, and we actually see that now that people are actually working on that to do code reviews, to do to do peer programming and, ex, and extreme programming together, just by the use of a browser or the, or two different screens in two different worlds. So, um, and 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 that that brings us to the to the the really commercial uh, note that that Sacha brought out in 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 uh, I think it was April or May that he said, well, we saw in two months a digital transformation that became that was was normally possible only in two years, and it's true. I mean. Every partner that I talk to today, they are all being they are all prepared. They they use any kind of remote tool at their benefit, and, and typically they also stay in one ecosystem. And for that, we are pretty lucky because we have a pretty complete ecosystem. But if for the competition, we try to mix and merge all these things also into our tools, and so everybody has a choice to go forward to do that digital transformation. And it's a dirty word. I know it's a dirty thing to say, digital transformation. It's buzzword, but it it is true that people are looking differently at technology today, and that they try to make the best out of every single tool that they have. And tools get more intelligent and better every single day, and that's the beauty of it. Everybody benefits. So that is uh, it's indeed uh, exciting times. Awesome. So it really sounds like the the successful software houses or software development companies are are really moving moving along also during this time and even 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 from this hardcore perspective companies who are actually developing something from scratch by themselves not integrating existing pieces of software not kind of citizen developer point of view but but kind of What's the opposite of a citizen? Governor, yeah. legal alien, something, <laughs> something v- like that. Yeah. Visitor developers. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, so it, it really sounds like there's lots of uh, new activities there. Yeah, true, and and even and even the, the classic software builders. So those who were not really uh, that never had an idea that they were going to move in that direction. I, I'm going to give you a great example of a couple of ISVs that I've been working with the last two years. And one of them we only uh, came across in December last year, so December 2019. And it's a company in a typical, very conservative industry, healthcare. You know, healthcare is typically they're bound to, oh, yeah, we have to run on a Windows 7 environment and we have to, you know, that kind of stereotype. Imagine that and keep that in mind. So they came to us in in in. in December and they said, "Ah, we are looking for a cloud provider and we don't want to do too much stuff and blah 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 blah." And I, I had a discussion with the CEO and it, it's not a small one. And the company is a is MIPS. It's a Belgian company and they their headquarters is a is a UK company, so Clinicis. 
so they, what they do there is they have a laboratory software which, where you can follow the chain, the supply chain of a uh, medical test. So imagine that your blood samples, hey, hey go figure, the blood samples, have to go through clinical trials and, and clinical testing. <laughs> you will actually have a full chain of, of when that test was taken, what has to be tested for. And it's a full chain, just like a forensic chain when you're doing forensic research or when you do a supply chain, there's always a track of everything what you're doing. And those guys were, yeah, we, we have a monolith application and it has to run on two machines and and we're never going to rewrite those and it, it just has to run so typically you're looking at the lift and shift here yeah 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 but we don't want to worry about it and then we don't take responsibility for the running it in in the cloud okay so who's going to manage it <laughs> uh, so we had this entire discussion and at, a, at that point they were like no it's not that it's never going to work it's never going to work it's not going to work then march came and we had a, a very uh, troublesome period here because nobody could do the testing. So what our government did, the Belgian government did, said, we're going to work together with three partners, one for identity management, one for clinical testing management, and one for doing the, the real tests and uh, letting go some AI on those things. And those, funny enough, were three partners of mine. So. And that one partner where I spoke to in December, they actually came to us and said, now we have to move really, really quick. Help us. So what we did here was the impossible. We totally transformed their their solution from a hard-on, on-premise solution to a fully distributed uh, with Unfortunately, some some uh, Windows Virtual Desktop, but it was a, a very good solution, a scalable solution to have testing all nationwide, uh, and uh, increase our testing capacity, going from 500 tests per day to 10,000 of tests per day, because of the scaling that we put behind it. So we we took away some some elements from the from the Molonet, we pasted it into a, to a cloud native thing, and guess what? It just worked. We took away their own identity management. We put in place an EID management, and it just worked. And people were amazed. And we did that in less than a week. And that was the beauty of it. So if you want to, and and, and even the most conservative companies, and that's a little bit the, the, the thing I'm trying to reach, if you... If you're going into that space and you have pressure, and but you also have people that are are willing to give their effort into it, you can achieve a lot of stuff. And times like these make make these solutions and make these um, decisions a lot easier to build. So I hope it stops here because <laughs> because I don't want to build too many of those solutions anymore. But yeah, it it, it it's been very interesting from that perspective, and 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 from you know even from from a lot of a lot of misery, a lot of beautiful things can come. And this is one of the perfect examples that happened the last couple of months. I love how that ties back into into them thinking for a while, putting that on hold for a bit. And then when a need came, then you you were able to move very fast. Mm-hmm. And these fast moving companies are really interesting uh, to me. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, that's the beauty of it, indeed. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, nice transition there as well, because now we'll be moving on to talking about fast-growing companies. So scale-ups, yes, <laughs> scale-ups by definition would be uh, companies 
uh, at least by popular definition, would be companies who have at least 20% growth in the past three years and, and they start from a very small and they grow very fast. So in, in maybe um, everyday terms, they are the, the companies who are not quite the garage startups anymore, but they aren't the corporates anymore either. Kind of like, as you said, the future Spotify's. So so you could say. So um, what guidance would you give to startups who want to aspire to become the scale-ups of the future? What should be their technology choices, their investment in skilling, anything else? So typically, and, and now I'm really going to, going to speak specifically for that ISV standard that I'm talking about. Typically, the advice that we that I give, the fun thing is I've never, I've never loved sales or business development. But the last couple of months were really fun because I have a, had a very good colleague uh, who did the business development part for me and I did the technical support for him. Uh, but I learned a lot from that perspective. On, 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 and that's something I already knew before, but uh, now it really came true that what, what he's saying, I was always, always thinking. So it was an acknowledgement for me that I was actually thinking in the correct way. But the, the one thing, the one uh, real thing of, of guidance and, 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 and pro tip that I'm going to give is look at your business model. And I'm not talking about what you're building. I'm talking about how you can deliver. And that's the most important part. It's really good to have a solution in the market where everybody can use it. And and, 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 and you say, I, I make you pay like uh, $20 for my, for my application. Yeah, but maybe take a look at, at how your business can grow afterwards. If $20 cannot cut your, your total cost and cannot cut your entire environment, then maybe you should start looking at it from a different angle. Start doing it more on a transactional base, for instance. Have a different kind of threshold on where you want to uh, charge your customers. And sometimes you even just give your software for free and you start selling the data. And with the data selling, I don't mean in a Google kind of way, but more in but more in a way of make sure that that the industry that you're in and the and the specialization that you have, whether it's vertical or horizontal, doesn't matter, that you have an additional value to sell afterwards. If you can make a a, a software work and you give, you give away the software for free, but you can create a, a very intelligent machine learning model out of this, this is a gold mine. And they always keep saying, yeah, yeah, data is a new oil. It's true, but you also need a refinery. And this is where, where the ISVs can actually start making a lot of money. And that's the biggest guidance that I give them. Build an ecosystem that can be built upon APIs so that everybody can start using your tools with no matter what tools you have, and that brings us back down to that citizen development group, but also make sure that for those who can even make more money out of it, get access to the anonymized data and get more intelligent out of it. And this is where your hardcore should be as a scale-up. Because as a startup, you start building on a software and it has to look shiny, you know, you, you, you toddle a little around with colors and then, and, 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 and then it's minimal things. It's, it's like minimal design things. But once you're there and you're feature ready, it stops. And where are you going to monetize on that afterwards? And this is something a lot of companies don't realize. And, and we did a couple of nice exercises with lots of our ISVs that were in a, in a, in a kind of recruit motion. So those that were, were onboarding into our program. We did a pricing workshop with them, uh, with, a, with a 
really cool Danish guy who really understands how markets and, and, and economies work from a vendor perspective as a software vendor. And that was really, really cool to see how that works. And this is a real pro tip that I give to every startup and even scale up. Think about how your business model should evolve and what you need to do next inside of your business model. Thinking of features is not hard. Thinking of the next move in, in becoming a large enterprise, that's the hardest part. So so let me let me kind of try try to wrap my things around. Uh, head around all of all of these things so so you mentioned uh, at, at the really beginning of that uh, modeling of the business uh, of a software company is, is really the understanding of how much will someone actually pay for the use of this and you also mentioned the cost of the environment there should be some sort of relationship between if there if if it's an application that is going to be used forever if it's not something that i'm just going to use once and throw away it will still create some cloud infrastructure and environment cost and, and then you moved on into comparing, okay, if there's no direct causality between those two, for example, by price per data stored or something like that, maybe can there be some sort of relationship between how much data are they generating for me that I could actually, that is not specific, that doesn't include personally identifiable information, that doesn't include trade secrets. Is there something that we are learning from this particular technology? And that's where this industry-specific part comes in. It's not just about, hey, we'll just... Um, take a look at this application, web application that we have, and it seems that there's a lot of HTTP answers uh, 200 here. It seems to be that pages are loading. No, that's not no. And, uh, that's not analytics, but it's something to do with the actual context of the eventual users of the application. Exactly. Cool. Very, yeah. very interesting. So, uh, so maybe at that time, technology is not the first thing that drives you. You mentioned the business model. How does it scale? You need to understand how how does how what is the relationship but what happens when when everything goes well uh there is a once in a century event and suddenly your business needs to grow very fast mm. or something something happens uh you do hard work and you're in the league of this larger company you are you are no longer working with uh, 10 of your best friends you are some hundred people or so uh you really need to start scaling uh sales are picking up when should they focus now on the technology perspective? Well, technology should also be considered from in the beginning. Your technology choices will also help you support your business model and vice versa. You need to be viable to make the correct technology choices also. Hence why, and that's, that's the discussion I, I go on with every single uh, ISV all the time, because a lot of these guys that are starting out, the startups, they still go like VMware all the way. So they always go inside a virtual machine and they start building their, yeah, because it's cloud, right? No, it's not cloud. Try to do as much as cloud native development as possible. And push, uh, lift and shift is not cloud native. No, no, no. It's, it's what do you mean close. by cloud native? Give so, our listeners a definition. <laughs> so cloud native is everything that gives you the benefits of a true cloud environment. That means scalability and elasticity when you need it, but also resiliency and high availability of services that you don't want to manage. Typically, it's 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 things like message queues and and and, and backend services that you don't want to uh, want to foresee as a as a real own service. You you just want to outsource that. It's that simple. Identity management. Don't go there. 
Don't go into the, into the realms of identity management. Make sure that your system can talk to an identity management system and that identity can be managed by your end customer and not by yourself. It's these little things that will make your life a lot easier. They will take away some of the management over it, but also some of the management pains that you will have. Because a lot of these things come with uh, responsibilities, liabilities, and all these things that you typically want to avoid in a business. You want to focus on your product, but also on running your business and running your your sales, right? That's pure economics. Uh, even I understand that, and I'm not, th- and I'm not even a, a salesperson. You start. Uh, don't just go to, go uh, and pick a virtual machine like you did earlier, but think from this cloud native mentality. And by that, you don't mean start learning about Kubernetes and hire a hundred people uh, to actually run that. You mean actually start thinking of what is possible to outsource from my day-to-day operations, identity management, everything as a service as possible, not focusing on making sure that that cluster is up and running, but actually focusing on your application there. Yes, exactly. And with choice of technology, again, you said a buzzword there, Kubernetes, again, your application can run anywhere. You need to take a look at how your application will be designed, what your solution will look like from an architecture perspective. And typically today, and, and I don't know about you, but it really makes me mad that everybody goes, oh, you have to go the full microservices way. You have to run a full-scale Kubernetes cluster. And then, and, and no, 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 no. Look at what you can use and land the things that you want to build in the correct technology that you will need it for. Look at the pros and look at the cons. Okay, Kubernetes may be the holy grail for everything, which is not. And I know Kubernetes may endorse a little bit the building of microservices, but it's not the end goal. It shouldn't be the end goal. You can perfectly have a single, a semi-monolith with some small services living apart, what is important, however, is that you make it as failable as possible. Design for failure is imminent. That's something that I have to keep repeating to every single one. If you design a solution, make sure that it can fail, scale, and restore itself independently from any other part in your solution and any other part in that service layer. To give you an idea, if your front end has is not a bottleneck, but your back end is a bottleneck, make sure that you put a queue in between and that the bottleneck can be pick, be picking up the queue whenever it can, or after it's scaled, for instance. That's that's the way you should design. And that's something that they don't teach kids at school. A lot of us have forgotten because in the past, when we were working with mainframes, you had to do the same damn thing. We had to partition. We had to make sure that memory was allocated and that that all these things could virtually uh, uh, self-heal itself and all these things. But we just forgotten how to do it, and we have to go back to the basics to uh, to not build machines with uh, 32 terabytes of, of RAM in there. No, no. We need to make sure that we build our software accordingly so that it doesn't overconsume its RAM level, for instance. And we don't want to create these ugly beasts that, that are that when one once you put it on a server, you always need to have bigger servers. No, you need to make sure that a server can run hundreds of those applications and make it more cost efficient. So those things we've forgotten. Uh, compute and that that's also the, the the downside of of all this technology 
all these technology the, um, like growths we had and, and, and evolutions we have seen. Uh, I mean, co compute co uh, capacity and, and, and storage and memory have become a commodity and become very, very cheap and we don't care anymore. But sometimes it's worthwhile to investigate a little bit and make a performing tool without having to scale. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and that's, yeah, so... And indeed, if we then take a look at, at, at how people build their software and they start up with something new, they immediately start thinking, yeah, because it's cool and nice and I, I want to do Kubernetes. Look at what you get to build. Use some serverless material. Use some use use storage instead of instead of VM disk. Use whatever you can use to make your life easier, but also less complex. Perfectly. I think that's that's excellent insight, Luke. Look at whatever can make your life easier. Don't just go where the, all of the buzzwords or maybe maybe your potential new new job are. Go where you can actually build something meaningful. You can focus focus your development work on the actual business value, something that differentiates you from from others. And as a developer, don't choose technologies that make you actually go back and rework on it or have continuous operational work there. Yeah, or Excellent. over the steep learning curve, like Kubernetes, for instance. It's it's a beautiful technology, but it's darn hard to learn. <laughs> what, what, I, what I've always, well, what I often, often say is uh, Kubernetes is an excellent technology choice for an organization that has 100 million to spend. True. Amen to that. <laughs> Really nice, really good, <laughs> controversial <laughs> opinions here, <laughs> or not controversial, depends on your viewpoint, of course, as well. Um, yeah, as, as an organizer of Kubernetes meetups quite often, it sounds um, fun. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not saying no, that it is okay. a bad thing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not shooting it, but yeah, but it, again, use a technology for what it can be used for and not overuse it because it's pretty. I mean, and because it's a buzzword, make a, make a make a an educated choice. Yeah, educated choices I think are usually the best ones, and, and <laughs> you know, it's it's not a cookie cutter. It's not one size fits all. So it's always exactly deeper into <laughs> this thing. Yeah, perfect. But yeah, we have really kind of covered many different kind of companies. But let's bring it back to you, Mike, for a while as well. So, what kind of impact do you see? Uh, from your role, like what is the impact that you see on your everyday day-to-day -day role and how is impacting the project that you work with? Huh. Um, I'm, I'm not average. Let me put it that way. I'm, I'm one of the guys that can actually speak up and say, dude, you're doing it wrong. But that's appreciated. So that's kind of the impact that I do. And, and with all respect to everybody, I mean, we all make mistakes and, and, and we should, everybody should be open to a discussion and everybody should be able to, to just say, speak up and say their opinion with all respect to everybody, of course. I, mean, I, can, I can just say that yeah, the, the thing that you build is like, it's like a nightmare. Sure, but have a good argument to say why it's a nightmare okay? and not because it, it is ugly, right? You're not going to say that. Uh, everybody, loves, everybody loves cars and, and some people still love uh, Fiat Doblos, for instance, or whatever you have. <laughs> you ever seen that? Look it up. You will see what I mean. It's officially been named the ugliest car ever. But hey, if somebody loves that kind of a car because it's spacious on the inside and he doesn't care what it looks like on the outside, if that works for you, and it is indeed a great family car. 
to give to give an analogy. So you should be able to discuss those things, but also when you're discussing those things, make sure that you, uh, if you want to make an impact, you gain the trust of everybody and that you come with good arguments and even sometimes agree to disagree or even say that sometimes you could be wrong too. And uh, that that is, in my opinion, my job, the the, the the most fun part of my job because I can actually speak up. I don't have anything to sell. I can say just what I think. And that, that makes my job pretty darn cool from that perspective. Maybe not everybody agrees, especially not in governmental parts, but <laughs> that's a different story. Uh, but yeah, no, no, that's, that's, no, I mean, and I know my, my job might sound like a job from an ivory tower, but I, I have my mileage. I know what I'm talking about, I think. And even if I don't know what I, what I think I'm talking about, I, I can probably have a good argument to, to just convince you anyway. <laughs> no, but, uh, no, but I mean, also have some, have some respect for people and, 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 and be open to any kind of idea. Because sometimes you can be wrong too. Happened to me a couple already a couple of times, and then you come to think of it, and yeah, maybe that's the better solution. So that's part of my uh, part of the game. So that brings my that makes my role not only a technical one, but also like kind of the shrink role. Where, where does it hurt, and uh, how far are we? <laughs> um, and companies like that approach. Really cool. I think I think it's always. Super interesting to hear about the impact of, of, of a person in a company and, and how, how do they view their kind of impact around them as well. So really interesting. So um, I think we have heard many interesting companies and projects that you worked with. And, and But is there anything else that you would like to mention that's our, what is the coolest things happening at the moment? Or was it all, was it the healthcare, healthcare companies already there? Oh, no. I mean, especially the last two years, I've seen so many beautiful companies coming up with so many beautiful ideas and sometimes even ideas that were already existing. Everybody likes to reinvent the wheel. Uh, but I mean, I've seen, I've seen companies going from really, really small to immediately grow out to a, a million dollar company in, in, in like no time, which is really, really cool, especially the, uh, uh, a company in the identity sphere. Uh, it's a partner that, uh, that has a, a multi-factor authentication, which replaces totally your identity card in Belgium. Uh, and they're, they're actually uh, uh, a company which is uh, fully European uh, regulated on EIDAS. So uh, if you know EIDAS, they, they actually provide. So it's, the company is called It's Me. And they, they actually, they came from AWS, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> so we, it was kind of a compete win. But, the, the thing where they came from and where they're going and the ideas that they have, it's amazing. And yeah, and, and I, can, I can name so many uh, of those companies. I even work with some unicorns, which are really, really cool. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot tell too much about those because they, we are on a closed NDA, but they have so many beautiful ideas and they grew from, from a, a, a $0 company to a billion dollar company, not a million, but a billion dollar company in no time. And that's amazing. I mean, and yeah, it's good. It's good for business, but also good for, for recognition. Um, and, but also the, the, the things that, that they're doing and, 
and what they're doing and how they're using technology and what, what the difference that they're making in some in some industries or in some parts of the world it's, it's amazing that they that, that 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 brings back the 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 glorious part of my job i can actually see people grow and make it better for themselves and knowing in the back of my head i was a little part of it pretty pretty darn proud of that and I hope I can see them grow even more and they go to the to the stock market and stuff like that. It's really, really nice, yeah. Um, so uh, now for a really interesting recurring segment that we're starting season two. Our mission is to talk with the best people in the business, and we would really like to hear your thoughts on the future of tech as well. It might sound like a big and scary thing to predict the future of tech. Everyone's trying to do it. Um, but I think it would be really interesting to hear your thoughts on the matter. So what are the three biggest things in tech that you are excited at the moment, whether it be the possibility of having time travel someday or, or serverless or anything else in between? So the first thing that I see as a trend and that I strongly believe in is that everybody's making an effort to go green, fully green on everything. So ecology, right? And the way today everybody's pinching in to that level um, is that they are trying to make their data centers as green as possible, uh, trying to be as uh, ecological as possible in, in consumption of energy to, to make everything run, but also in returning the favor. Uh, and we've seen some very nice things going on there. And, and even with the latest announcements, the things that we're going to do uh, in the future with, uh, with going to space and all these things, it, it all makes science fiction come become a reality but the ecology part is a really important one because it's a, we all have to make sure that by 2050 we didn't blow up our planet we make we need to make sure that we act now um i think it was a greenpeace slogan a couple of years ago right act now right and they were actually right we need to do something about it and technology on all facts actually is helping them more um even we're still using resources to, to build technology uh, because we all know that compute capacity needs uh, ores and minerals and, and, and all these things to, to make chips and, and, and make sure that we can, uh, we can have silicium and all these things. So it comes also with an ecological cost. But if we, if we look at the effort the industry is making there, that's already pretty darn cool. And this is, this is, it's it's not the, the the for me the future of technology is not really like the science fiction things and we have some nice science fiction things like like VR and AR and all these things that's that's pretty cool and machine learning algorithms and hopefully one day we won't wake up in a Skynet world that's that's still my biggest concern uh, let's hope we don't get there but but well, we that, won't wake up no exactly yeah or too late. Um, but but the, the the green part is is something actually a lot of us are considering nowadays and 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 again uh, cloud computing can help there uh, I believe because you minimize the footprint where everybody's running their compute 
only to a couple of data centers and they can be optimized to be as ecological as possible. So that, for me, that is the biggest evolution and revolution that we're seeing. I mean, the things that, that some data centers are running, we're running data centers on the water, which create new ecosystems surrounding it because the water becomes a little bit more warmer. So you get new fish breeds, you get new, you get a better interaction of that ecosystem. Again, uh, the plankton is growing better. The, the plants are growing better. Uh, also, you get new uh, species that were extinct that are coming back, for instance, uh, like a certain kind of crayfish. It's, it's, it's really weird, uh, but maybe not for the bad. But also, uh, like in data centers running on, on biofuel and, 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 and solar cells and wind energy and, and, and returning the energy back to housing uh, capacity to, to, to warm houses and stuff. Those are pretty darn cool things that we can see in technology where, where we can benefit from technology. And so it's not only that what we build with it, but it's also how we build technology that, is, that, is, that's, I'm, that I'm most looking forward to what will be the next thing there. And if we then really have to talk about technology, uh, it's it's like how far can we go with technology? What will be our next compute part? We we we're already talking about quantum computing and the Schrodinger cat effect that we have on that on that thing, and then and, and teleportation and all these things. What will be the next thing? Will we actually get there? And then we will not be talking about time travel, but we will be talking about materialization of, of uh, and moving objects from one place to another without moving, for instance, and things like that, because we can we can actually reach those things. And yeah, those are really exciting times. So from a from a technology perspective, I want to see where we are in fifty years, and maybe we haven't come that far uh, as we think. Uh, I mean. The last 50 years were a revolution, but I think we now are slowly moving into an evolution because we cannot follow anymore ourselves. So we need to make smarter machines to make smarter machines. This is actually not sounding good <laughs> because making smarter machines indeed will bring us to that Skynet world. And, but, and especially coming from someone who works at a company who has both .NET and Skype <laughs> yes. Uh, in the brand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> no, indeed. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But yeah, you get, but at least we don't produce uh, robots like some other Cupertino uh, company does. For instance. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't have a, a, a material company uh, like Alphabet does, for instance. They have robots. We don't. Uh, but all, enough enough joking around. It's, uh, now, there's there's... And then I haven't even spoken uh, about things that we haven't invented yet, that we still haven't thought of. And I think with with all the people today focusing on technology, and, and I don't know whether it's a good trend, yes or no, eh? we, because we, we are investing heavily on, on everything in, in in education from a STEM perspective, or more women in IT. And nothing against it, don't get me wrong. I feel very obliged to have more inclusion of women in IT. Uh, uh, not because we, we are lacking them, but we, we need them. And not because they're females, no. Just because they are females. Because a woman thinks differently and they see other perspectives. And I say that with the most respect to, to all women out there. But they see things differently. Men, we are to focus on, on, on details. And, and, and it's that kind of a vision that we need more. And women in technology are really, really important for that. And we should have really, really more. And, 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 I, and I cannot stress it enough uh, to see more women 
standing up for having a voice in IT and then bringing that more to the community. And, 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 and that's also something that, that comes with that territory. Technology is no longer a man's bastion. It should be everybody's bastion. Yes, for sure. I think it's, I think it's so obvious that it's, but it should be always mentioned, even, even though it is obvious that multiple viewpoints bring so much richness to the decision-making process, to the creation process. So everything kind of like improves if there is multiple viewpoints from diversity and inclusion point of course as well. Exactly. Yeah, I, I really agree that when we are thinking of building the future of, uh, of the technology, you mentioned the, the next evolutionary step in not, not, not just uh, kind of software, but other technologies as well. If the people building that are coming from the same schools, they're coming from the same backgrounds, they look alike, they are all from the same gender, they do everything together in, in a way that, uh, that is very homogeneous, that really doesn't produce the best possible variations into this big mix or this big machinery. So if we get more diverse set of people, engineers, more uh, diverse engineers, but also people who are not engineers, people who are coming from different paths of life who might have started their careers with uh, with something else. I think that's a very good way to to really increase the chances that we will find those pieces that have not really been invented yet, uh, as you mentioned. Exactly. We are thinking of having this uh, recurring segment now in this season of Cloud Gossip. What will be something that maybe you have encountered somebody else doing or maybe you you have done yourself or what would you encourage uh, as a project or initiative in the inclusiveness space that you have seen that you you think uh, should get more light or should be shared or everyone should do this? We we should bring it really back to the basics here. Uh, We should start listening and looking again. Two very simple senses that we all have, or unfortunately for those who don't have those anymore, uh, the one gets more expanded than the other. And that's also a DNI, by the way. It's not only those who are uh, perfectly healthy, but uh, and and, uh, from a matter of race or culture or gender, but it's also those we don't have uh, fully in, in, in good health or in good uh, 100% physical state. And that doesn't mean that they're less. That doesn't mean that they're different. It's just they are either in bad luck. It's kind of a harsh word to say, or they were, or they're perfectly happy because they were born away and they never knew anything else. Yeah? But the, the most important thing is that we learn to listen and to see again who we have in front of us. Look at the person. Speak to the person. You're not talking to a woman. You're talking to a person. And, of course, it's of a gender woman, but you cannot, you cannot disagree on that. Or if it's of an Asian culture person or, or an Afro-American culture person. It doesn't matter. They're people. And I think the last year has been a very important year when it comes down to uh, diversity and inclusion. And I... I, I'm not taking any political stances here, and I, I I'm not opening a a a a, a harsh fight beyond Kubernetes. <laughs> beyond Kubernetes, that's a different story. We always pick a fight, but people just need to pay 
respect to people. Gender, race, culture, doesn't matter. In the end, we all die. We are all the same little bunch of bones and skin and whatever it runs around in our bodies. We all go to ash, period. And that's harsh, I know. But it's a fact. It's a given. And nobody cares in the end anymore whether you're black or white or yellow or whatever color you have. You're a person. And that's the most important part. I think that's and very, that very... is something we need to take back. And, and if there's one thing that people I want to give to the world is start with the little things. And it's maybe hard to, to reach out to somebody who is in a minority group, or at least that is being seen as a world by, as a minority group, because it's hard to talk about these things because you don't want to insult anybody, you know? And I also have that problem. I mean, if I say minority group, it's, it, it makes me kind of feel like I'm looking down on them, which is not. I'm not seeing them as a minority group, but we call them that way, period. Nothing we can do about it. And we, we try to change our culture, and we, we have the, the entire uh, master slave thing that is going on in the repository space, which we are now calling trunk for good matters. And it's these little things that can actually change our mindsets. And that will make us listen again and look again at people instead of looking at, yeah, it's normal. That's the way it was. Cope with it. No, maybe we should change a little bit into that sphere and look at it from any kind of angle that people are bringing up with respect to the others. Because elsewhere you will also become as those others do. For sure, really, really powerful worlds and, and really important topic. And, and it's good to have these discussions because it, they are needed to be had and heard as well. So to kind of uh, concrete tips for our, for our listeners. So um, do you have any tips on how, how you or someone can lift people, lift others up? So, so how can you empower people around you to, to create a better world? Again, listen and speak to people. Ask how somebody is doing. Just start with that. Just start a conversation. Perfect stranger. Unless he's not chasing you in the knife and in a machete, everything is well. And maybe it's still Halloween, so you can still have a discussion. And that's one of the things that I miss. I miss meeting strangers. And you know you know me. I mean, we've been going all together to do conferences in the past, and then you get to meet all sorts of people, which is really, really cool, and which is one of the benefits of my job because I'm a very social animal, and I love to be among people, especially among friends. But Ed, Everybody can be a friend, even those who are different of mind, unless they are talking in such an aggressive way that you cannot really like agree with their, with their mindsets because it's like totally off. But everybody deserves the respect to at least talk to them. That's a powerful thing. Our voices are something powerful. And asking somebody, how are you, and care, really caring about it, it's not just say, hey, how are you? No, you have to really mean it. That's the only thing that really matters in the end.
that's that's very true. And you mentioned uh, mentioned the community part. You mentioned different conferences which we uh, we've all organized, attended, uh, spoken all to all together in different different conferences and meetups and environments. If you put aside your your work hat and put on your your community leader and event organizer hat, uh, now's really the time for kind of a humble brag or promoting and lifting others really up. So we we are not doing any of us are doing it alone. It really takes a village to raise a child and all of that. So exactly. Uh, just just would you like to give us some shout outs to communities close to your heart? Yeah, sure. there's so many. And of course, there's my own community that we run. Uh, there's the Azure User Group in Belgium with, with all my friends in there. We're not a community, we're friends. And we do it for fun, right? And there is your user group still in Finland, the Falk, and, and, and the things that you're doing. And then we, we, we are actually fraternal, fraternitized all over the world with, with those community groups. And so the MVP community is still at my heart. Uh, but also there's some new members around the block, uh, people who made my life more interesting and more, more thoughtful and considerate is, is guys like, like Denny Declitic, for instance. He's an awesome guy. and He's an awesome community figure. And everybody loves that guy. And for good reasons, because he's doing the great things and he's doing the good things from that perspective. And then there's people like you, like Annie and and, and, and Isidora, for instance. Who, yeah, like you you drive the... Um, Humans yeah. in IT. Humans yes. in IT. Yes. And it's these things that are, that are important to me and they are close to me. And we should endorse them for the better. And they should get all the attention and bring fun and humanity into into a community so keep up with the good work i would say perfect Excellent. that's good to hear and as a sneak peek uh preview we should have isidora in the upcoming episodes of cloud gossip as a guest so look out for that as well make sure you have a dance floor available speaking of dancing that really wraps this up so today we talked with uh, with Mike Martin from Microsoft. We learned all about uh, lots of dirty words or lots of buzzwords. Uh, we talked about meaningful insights around ISVs, uh, scale-ups, all of these software companies. And we even delved into have a deep look at our souls and talked about uh, humanity. We talked about the future with green data centers, with how to interact with others. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Cloud Gossip. You can find us from our website, cloudgossip.net. Please leave us a review and subscribe to us at iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Spotify.